Welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger. I'm here with producer Jason DeFilippo. Today is Fan Mail Friday. You know what that means, unless you're new to the show. Essentially what that means is we're taking your questions, advice, complaints, feedback, but mostly just advice, good or bad, hopefully good. Hopefully good. Although we've had some stinkers, haven't we, Jason? Yeah, it happens. It happens. It's rare. I'd like to think it's rare. But anyway, let's cut (laughs) right to it. Hello, AOC. I'm a 21-year-old triplet with two brothers and an older sister who's 25. While one of my brothers and I are very outgoing, athletic, and are headed on a clear career path, my sister is stuck in a career she's unhappy with and has been about to look for a job for at least a year while she still lives at home. My brother's unsure of his hobbies, always sad because he doesn't have many friends, no job, and has no idea what career he wants. He's just about finished his associate's degree at community college, and the time is coming for him to pick a major at a four-year school. I hate seeing them so sad all the time, but everything I've tried doesn't motivate them to apply for jobs, focus on their hobbies, or try and make friends. Nothing I say works. Am I just being an overprotective sister? I want to see them do well, but I can't find the right words. Thanks for the advice, an overly loving sister. So to me, Jason, and I don't know what you think here, this just sounds like depression straight up. And a lot of people don't get this one right away because they imagine depression to look differently than it does, or they think depressed people have always been that way when that's not the case. And it often sneaks up over time. And of course, since she's the sister, she's like, well, he wasn't like this when we were kids. So if he was depressed, I would have noticed it when he was younger. And, you know, there's all kinds of sort of bias at play here. And also people look at things backwards sometimes. And what I mean by that is, they're oh they're sad because they're always at home or they're sad because they don't have a job or they're not motivated it might be the other way around they're sad so they stay at home they're sad so they can't get motivated therefore they can't get a job because it requires way too much energy and i know you're thinking what kind of energy do you need to get out of bed and just go get something you'd be surprised when you're depressed it's like having a serious physical disease you just don't have anything in the tank And the answer is the same regardless of what the cause is, which is you need to seek professional help. They need to get treated. And if you're worried about them as their sister, let them know. One thing that you really can slash should do, in my opinion, is let them know it's okay and it's not their fault and that they need help. So you're not enabling them by just saying, oh, it's not your fault, you know, keep laying on the couch. You're saying, look, this is something that's afflicting you. It's not a bunch of choices that you've made. You know, because I would imagine it's possible that your parents, who you haven't written about here, could be like, oh, these lazy get these lazy ass kids. That's what my parents would be like. Right. They would be like, yeah, you lazy sod, get off the couch. They wouldn't be like, what's wrong with our son? Maybe there's something. No, they would just be like, get it, get your ass up. And that wouldn't be necessarily helpful. And they're probably feeling some guilt and shame about that kind of thing, too. So let them know it's not their fault, that they do need help and then support them in getting that help and breaking the stigma. Maybe maybe they need a ride to go to the shrink. Maybe they want you to sit in there with them. Maybe they need you to go to the first session so they know it's not something that makes them feel like a bunch of creepy weirdos or there's something's wrong with them or that they're going to get, you know, thrown into a straight jacket in the back of a paddy wagon. I mean, this stuff is scary when you don't know what's happening to you and other people around you start treating you differently. It's not a comfortable feeling. And I also think her brother might be an introvert and she might be an extrovert because look at, you know, she's got friends, she's outgoing, doing her thing, athletic, and her brother doesn't have many friends. Right there, that's a tip off to me that he might be introverted and definitely, like you said, might need a hand in getting to therapy and getting out. Yeah, I agree. It sounds a little bit more intense than just one's an introvert, one's an extrovert, but it's hard to tell, right? Because we're not there. Yeah, I just I was just throwing that out as maybe as another add-on symptom, but I think you're I think you're on the nose with the depression. All right, next up. Dear Jordan and Gang, 
I'm a 33-year-old New York City-based personal trainer. I recently discovered AOC and have been working on improving my social grace. I'm writing because I'm constantly put in the awkward position of listening to someone call themselves fat in a group setting. While this is often actually true, I'm never really sure how I should respond. The natural tendency is to deflect the comment without comforting reassurances that the person is not fat. However, due to my profession, I feel that would be an injustice in itself. Today, while teaching an absolution class, a young woman interrupted me mid-instruction and said she just needed to get rid of her flab while lifting her shirt and grabbing a hunk of roll. Caught off guard, I didn't wow. know what to say. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I, no surprise that you're caught off guard. Yeah, I, I'm with you. So I simply didn't respond, and the whole class endured an uncomfortable pause of silence. I feel most people are deconditioned because they're either in denial or unaware of how much they've neglected their health and fitness. I feel that lying to them or ignoring their comments only supports this ignorance. I became a personal trainer because I want to help people achieve their personal best, not lie to them about their actual obesity just to avoid offending people. What is the appropriate response to these types of comments, and how can I gracefully agree with them without insulting or embarrassing anyone? Thanks for the much-needed advice, The Body Strategist. Yeah, I mean, that is, I can see why people do, I'm imagining this, and it's kind of sort of funny and awkward at the same time, so I'm, I'm with you on this. I really do imagine people doing this because of the level of shame involved and they want to throw it out there as if you didn't notice that they're a little overweight and they've got the, some shame around it, so they're sort of using the defense mechanism is, I'm going to throw this out there for everyone to see, therefore it can't hurt me, right? You, you're taking away the weapon that's been used to hurt them. And this is probably a defense mechanism that these people have built up over time because of the way they've been treated by others because they're overweight. So I would say in response to something like that, just be upfront saying something like, that's why we're here working it all off or something even supportive. Like, well, you've taken one of the first steps in the right direction. Welcome to absolution class. So this redirection does all the right things. It shows support, but it doesn't indulge the fiction of like, you're not fat. It's okay. Right. Which isn't helpful, like you said. And I agree with you. And if people are in a group, use group language. That's why we are all here instead of, well, it's good you're here. Uh, because group language shows them they're not going to be the center of attention. It also puts them in a group with other people doing the same thing, which fosters the team mentality that you've got going on in absolution class or in fitness class. But uh, like you said, it takes away the center of attention. So some people enjoy that sympathy stuff, and they're just going to keep distracting you mid-instruction, which is why I'm mentioning this. The mid-instruction thing, that sort of gave me a flag like they want you know, they want to be noticed. They'll keep distracting you mid-instruction if you train them to do so. And the group language puts everyone in the same bucket, so it's not really offensive because it's less personal and it's less individual. Now, there's another side of this people jumping up and saying I'm fat kind of thing. And okay. I like I think what they're going for is what I like to call excusamine. It's like a little hit of dopamine, but then most people are going to say, "Oh, you're not fat," which gives them the excuse to say, "Well, great, then hand me that extra chocolate eclair over there. I'm just going to go about my day and totally avoid the situation." And I think it's awesome that this person's at a party that uh, the body strategist is at parties and group settings where people will literally come up to them and say, "Hey, I've got this condition that you are totally qualified to help me with." So, you know, my response would be, okay, here's my business card. When do we set up a session instead of trying to placate them? And I can see why she's looking for better language to address this problem in a group setting. Because, yeah, saying, hey, somebody comes up and goes, yeah, I'm just too fat. And you just go, yeah, you know, <laughs> that could definitely stop the conversation and probably not get you the client if that's what you're looking for. 
So I think going with Jordan's, uh, you know, low key reply is definitely the way to go. But then you can just, you know, catch him on the side and say, hey, if you really want to fix this problem, here's my card. You don't have to do it in front of the group, but you can take them off to the side and then work with them so they don't have this problem going forward and they can take care of it. Yeah, I like that. I hope that helps as well. I love the excuse mean. It's very true, right? Like, oh, you know, this, this, my house is so messy. And then there's that pregnant pause where it's like, no, your house, oh, no, it's not at all. You should and see that's mine. Fi- you should see <laughs> mine. And it's like, okay, it's a way of relating to people, but it, it doesn't help when you're trying to move past the issue. If, if you're fishing for compliments about the cleanliness of your house, that's one thing. But if you're fishing for a reason not to keep coming to class or, uh, oh, you're not fat, it's just like, no, nah, let's not ignore the reality here. It's You'd never say that to somebody who's like, I'm taking insulin because I'm diabetic. You wouldn't be like, you're not diabetic, right? I mean, you you just wouldn't do that. You would never do that with medication, and fitness is really, it's more healthy than medication <laughs> anyway, So, in most cases. So, look, you wouldn't do that, and you shouldn't do that. I know there's pressure to do that, and I know that's sort of what these people, in, in part, may be looking for, but I do think it's a defense mechanism, and it's time that they ditch that, because they're there to make a change, and you're the one doing that. You're, you're the one helping them make that change and lead that charge, so there's no point for you to also indulge in the fiction that they don't need to be there in the first place. Hope that helps. All right, next up. Hi, Jordan. I'm a dance choreographer in the Pacific Northwest, and my question is about networking. I've been building my career for the past seven years. I've started a company, directed music videos, worked in musical theater, and self-produced over 20 shows. Although I'm still growing artistically, I'm hungry for bigger projects and have my sights set on New York. I'd love to work on Broadway, but theater is the Wild West compared to the corporate world, and there is no set pathway to get where I want to be. This brings me to part one of my question. How can I find out the best way to network in the Broadway community? Looking for networking groups online has been a rabbit hole of futility, and it doesn't help that I'm currently on the opposite coast. I like rabbit hole of futility. (laughs) Yeah, nice. Part two of my question. I'm not after fame, but there are some musicians I want to work with who are famous. How can I get these people to notice my work? It seems they're either protected by a firewall of agents and managers, or I can't even find out who the agents and managers are in the first place. I've considered writing fan mail and sending samples of my work, but that doesn't feel very professional. Social media could be another avenue, but I don't want to seem like a crazy stalker either. One step I've taken is to contact other choreographers who have worked with some of the same musicians and on Broadway. Surprisingly, they're accessible and respond to my emails, but I'm wary of asking for an introduction because I don't know how cultivated the relationship should be before I ask for a favor like that. For example... Hi, I know you're a Tony-nominated choreographer, and I'm Small Potatoes, but would you send my video to so-and-so? It feels like I would only get one shot at using these contacts, and I want to do it right. So far, I've been able to forge my own path, and in many cases, I've powered through the places where I see other artists give up. Tenacity, resourcefulness, and work ethic are my predominant qualities, but this one leaves me scratching my head. Am I holding myself back? Sincerely, gotta dance. All right, got to dance. I like this question, and it makes total sense. It's a really, you're asking the right questions here instead of like, how do I get in front of these people? It's like, well, should I be, how, how am I doing this? This isn't the right way to do this, right? I'm going to go through this email here and point out a couple mistakes. You're looking for networking groups. You're right. It's a rabbit hole of futility. It doesn't help that you're on the opposite coast, but really it's just futile to go into networking groups generally. Anything that's not curated is probably going to not be as useful because 
the people who are a higher level are not going to want to be in the same non-curated group as people who are like, I need a job. I need a job. <laughs> so the folks just at certain levels are not going to be in those groups. It's just – and it sounds a little arrogant, but I'm just going to put it this way. I am no longer in any group at all that anybody can join just by asking. And I don't answer any messages if I am in, still in some of those Facebook groups because usually it's just people wanting different things. So it's going to be a waste of your time. You're not going to find the right people there. It's just people asking for what's in it for them, and it's not going to be good for you. Seems like a self-selecting group of failure. It really is a self-selecting group of failure or people who are just trying to get something. Very rarely are there people they're giving, which is what you're looking for and what you should be doing as well. We talk about this a lot in the Art of Charm Challenge and in Social Capital. And you said that you're not after fame. There are some musicians you want to work with who are famous. Okay, that's great. That's typical. How can you get these people to notice my work? You're going to have to work through the network. There's a reason they're protected by, as you stated, a firewall of agents and managers. That's the point. They do that on purpose because they want to filter in and out the right things. You can't find out who the agents and managers are in the first place. Well, you could go to whorepresents.com and you can figure out who represents those people. But I will tell you, that managers and agents throw demo tapes and or there's no demo tapes anymore. They don't check out demos at all. There's no reason to. You have to go through a warm introduction. You have to work your way up the chain and get noticed, and that's really hard to do. I know you're consider I know you said you'd consider writing fan mail and sending samples of your work. It's not very professional. Your gut is correct here. That is not professional. It's not going to work. Social media could be another avenue, but People are doing that as well. So it's not going to work for you most likely there. The step that you said you've taken to contact other choreographers who've worked with the same musicians, etc., is a much better start. You said they're accessible, they're responding to your emails, but you're wary of asking for an introduction. Good, you should be. Don't ask for an introduction. They're, they've heard that all before. It's clear that you're just using them for that at that point. It's a great way to get stonewalled and blocked out of ever having any connection with these people ever again. And their so network. And their network, yeah. And I assume this is a small world. You're going to write, yeah, hi, I know you're a Tony-nominated choreographer, but would you send my video to so-and-so? Would you do that? If you were a Tony-nominated choreographer and someone's like, hey, can you send my video? I want to compete with you. Send it up the food chain. You would never do that. It doesn't make any sense. So you're not only going to get one shot at using these contacts. You're going to get many shots. But if you blow the first one, then you're going to get, you know, then you're done. So what we want to do here is, and this is what I recommend, Ask them for advice on how to get where you want to be. You don't know what you want. You don't know that you need your video to be sent to these people. You actually have no idea if that's how these people book jobs. You have no clue because you're not in that world, really. You're on the exterior. So re I recommend asking them for advice on how to get where you want to be. They'll probably offer tons of introductions if it's appropriate, but more likely they're going to tell you what you need to do, which is not just networking. It's not about getting your tape in the hands of the right person. Then once you start asking for advice and you're actually taking their suggestions and you're not asking them for anything aside from advice, then you're in a mentor slash advisor position with them, which is really great. It gets them rooting for you. Of course, when someone's rooting for you and you've proved that you're a normal person and that you're willing to do the work, that's when the introductions start to flow a little more, more freely. And this is exactly the type of thing we cover more in depth 
in our social capital program, by the way. And that's at theartofcharm.com slash social. This is about networking. It's about meeting the right people. It's about moving around in those worlds, getting people to know, like, and trust you so that you can move around more fluidly in professional environments. That's the entire point of the social capital course. So check that out. We'll link it in the show notes as well. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data. And a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people, because they're all gonna give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash charm. Just go to indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to kajabi.com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. All right, next up. Jordan, so against your and every other attorney's advice, I'm leaving for law school in just a few weeks. I have a great career now, but this is something I've always wanted to do. It's a logical step in my current career, and I'm very aware of the painful reality of actually practicing law so there won't be any surprises there. My question is about what you mentioned about Bitcoin. 
I really don't know much about it, so I wanted to ask if there was anything I should read to get more familiar with how it works and current legal issues surrounding Bitcoin and similar types of cryptocurrency. I have a practice area picked out already, but I'm with Mike Rowe here. I'm not willing to miss a great opportunity to follow my passion or original plan. Anything you can send me would be much appreciated. I might not know a lot about it now, but I'm definitely willing to dig into it and see if I can become competent and up-to-date on the issues so I can take advantage of an opportunity to be on the ground, so to speak, with cutting-edge legal issues. Thanks so much, Bitturney at Law. Nice. I like what you did there. So I would start off by investing a little bit. If you have a tiny bit of money, it's it makes looking at the markets and participating in the markets that much more interesting. I mean, you could buy like a quarter of a Bitcoin and one Ethereum or something like that and just look at the values go up and down and, and look at the charts. Read websites like Block Geeks. My friend Amir runs Block Geeks and I know he's a legit dude because he's friends with the creator of Ethereum and I I got introduced to the whole thing that way. And get apps. There's the following apps. Coinbase, which is not something where you should buy cryptocurrency, but it's kind of like the chase of crypto. You can get that. It's a nice app. It'll show you kind of how transfers work. It's a little bit more secure if you want to start putting in some cash that way um, and, and not necessarily buy from them because their fees are high. There's another app called Crypto Pro. It's not an exchange. It's not about buying and selling, but it's basically a chart uh, and market cap of all the different currencies that you could possibly imagine. They're all in there. They're all charted in there. And look at the market. You'll get a feel for the market. Paying attention to the issues facing the market over the next few years will also do you a lot of good. And Crypto Pro has news for each of the currencies in separate tabs. And you can just read tons of that stuff uh, in the morning when you wake up or whatever time you block off. Then when you go to law school, study finance, especially international money movements and things like that. Tax, especially tax structures that would face the ultra wealthy and things like that, trusts and things like that. Uh, those are the issues here. Also, monetary instruments and banking law, international finance, like I said, trusts, corporate entities are going to be very, very useful for you. What you're going to be looking for is how are people who have made hundreds of millions of dollars going to get their money back out of crypto, which requires trade overseas and trusts and banks in Singapore, and then how are they going to use that to buy assets in their home countries, the United States, Canada, the UK, and Australia? How are you going to take that money and buy product, services, uh, store the cash, buy property? Those are the things that those are the issues that if you master it, you can start to write your own ticket because now you're going to be looking at people who turned $300,000 into $300 million in the next couple of decades, and they're figuring out how the heck they can even use it, especially if crypto becomes illegal in Europe and the United States because the, the threat against the dollar, threat against the euro, and things like that. There's going to be very few law firms dealing with this stuff now. So if you keep an eye out and you do research based on these types of things throughout law school, if you're really interested in it, then you can actually write papers on this thing. You can publish them in Law Review, which I recommend, and that'll get you in a position to work with them later in your career. So if you start publishing things about this, if you start doing research about this, you could even blog about this from the legal perspective. You might be one of the few, if only, attorneys blogging about law as it relates to crypto. And you could even work on this project with a professor at your law school. And that's a really good way to make a name for yourself before your career really even begins. That's what I would do if I were you. But I'm not a lawyer. Thank God. <laughs> so be God be with you. All right. Next up. <laughs> Hi, Art of Charm. I'm wondering if you have any suggestions on how I can become less defensive. 
The relationship that is the most prevalent with this is my wife, but I can see how it permeated through many of my work and personal relationships. For example, if my wife and I were going camping, because of my work schedule, I would be able to do all the packing of the trailer, food, etc. Inevitably, when we're on our way to the lake, my wife will think of something we haven't packed, and I will instantly get angry and defensive. She may not even be directing the comment at me, just making a general observation. I feel like since I've done all the packing, if something is missing, obviously this would be my fault. My wife is a very direct person, so this situation plays out a lot in our relationship, as she is never one to dance around a subject. Is this just a symptom of my overall confidence in general? If my confidence were higher, would I not care as much? I care about the opinions of people who are close to me. Someone I don't really care about could make the same comment and it wouldn't bother me at all. Logically, I should know that someone I care about isn't making a comment to hurt me specifically, but it still bothers me. Although my confidence has grown as an adult, as a child and teen I was teased, I developed early, was very tall, and gangly with lots of acne growing up. This caused me to be very shy, introverted, constantly in my head, and never wanting to stand out for the fear of being ridiculed. I would say I was a very jaded teenager and missed out on a lot because of my attitude. I've also noticed as an adult that my mother is exactly the same way. I feel like my family walk on eggshells around her because the slightest comment or joke can set her off. It's obvious I saw this behavior as a child and replicated it as an adult. I don't want to pass this behavior on to my daughter. I love the show. I've listened to pretty much all of the Toolbox episodes and best of shows, and I love everything. Right now, I'm trying to implement your tips and techniques, concentrating on my body language and connecting with others. I've listened and absorbed a lot of the content and have already seen results. I just need to keep applying it in the real world and not just listening to you talk about this stuff. Thanks for everything you guys do. Defensive Dad. This one was great for me because I saw a little bit of myself in here. It doesn't sound like people are being hard on you, and I could be wrong. I mean, maybe your wife just like explodes every time you forget to pack the potato salad, but it doesn't sound like people are being hard on you. It sounds like you're being hard on yourself. And this, like I said, sounds a lot like me. I get upset. I get defensive because... I know I should know better, but I made a mistake, and me beating myself up about it is why I actually get defensive. So it's almost like I'm being defensive towards myself, but since that wouldn't make any logical sense, it comes out as me being defensive towards someone else. So you for sure learned this from your mom from the sound of it. She's probably hard on herself as well. Her confidence is easily shaken, and therefore she's easily triggered. I think realizing that you're doing this to yourself and not being subjected to it from others is a huge realization. So let that sink in for a second. Remember, you are being triggered. Nobody's really doing anything to you. I'm assuming your wife is being reasonable and, and saying, oh, you didn't pack the potato salad? Damn it, I would have done it. You know, I assume she's not like dressing you down in front of your kids or something. So you're being triggered. Nobody's really doing anything to you. So the trick isn't to change their behavior. The trick is to change your reaction to their behavior. So in other words, changing your own behavior. So how do you do this? You become aware when this is happening. That's the first thing. In the moment, not afterwards when you're writing me an email. Become aware when it is happening. When you get triggered by a comment, remember that the person saying the comment might not be that upset. They're just pushing a button that you control, which is causing you to become upset. You control the button. Therefore, you control the reaction. And what I do here is I laugh at myself and think, can you believe I forgot to buy milk again? Jeez, Jordan, you got a lot on your plate. Oh, well, it's not the end of the world. Just go back and get the milk. Or oh, we'll just deal without the milk. Force yourself to realize that it is not the talk from other people that is opening up this emotional path in you. It's your own self 
talk, which you can control and manage. And awareness lets you stop the negative spiral before it gets out of control. And that awareness is going to be key for you. Jason, you got anything to add? Yeah, what I noticed here is that his mother was defensive and his entire family had to walk on eggshells. I'm not an expert here, but it came up in therapy for me, so I'm throwing it out there. You were already in your head as a kid, so was I. And uh, having a mother with those traits, which I also had, may have left you with a mild case of PTSD. So when you encounter a situation that on the surface you cannot fix immediately, like forgetting to pack something in your example, you lash out. And going with what Jordan said, instead try taking a breath, think about the solution to the problem instead of the problem itself, and present that as your answer. Or just try and talk it through with the person. You know, if you forgot the camping stove or the potato salad, don't immediately respond with, well, it wasn't on the list, but just go, hey, no biggie. We can find a sporting goods store or a you know, grocery store on the way and pick another one up. No biggie. Because if I was to guess, most of the things that you're getting angry about aren't a big deal. So, yes, a little bit of mindfulness and reflection before you respond, when you can feel that anger welling up, just take a breath and look for a solution to what has been said. And, you know, just go inside yourself for like a half a second and if you have somebody that you can talk it through with, like, you know, you have a wife who, who obviously you said is the most important person that you have to deal with this with, talk to her about this issue and say, hey, if I do this, snap me out of it. Because I know, Jordan, you said that you have this problem. I have this problem. And I think over the past four years, we've started to really kind of figure that out in each other when that happens. And we kind of call each other on it. And over that time, we both started to do it less. And I think that's key to to get to get like emotional about BS. Yeah. You mean yeah. yeah, being triggered and being defensive. We're like, whoa, 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 no big deal, man. We're not curing cancer here. Back up the truck and let's kind of you know figure out the problem. And it kind of it, well, I know it snaps me out of it. I don't know if it works for you yet, but hey, uh, I'm trying. We'll see. So that's what you know. One of those things. If you can just you know pull it, pull yourself out and talk to somebody about it, that will stop that cycle and you'll get used to it. And then you'll kind of get that gut feeling when you start to get angry over something that is trivial and become defensive, then maybe you'll have a different reaction to it. Yeah, this uh, makes a lot of sense to me. I think that you really do need to become aware of it and then sort of short circuit it in the moment, right? You can't just rely on like, oh, I need to break the habit right away because you can't really, if the button is there, the button is there. It's not necessarily going to get eradicated right away. I find that becoming aware of it and then later on your reaction gets less and less and less because it doesn't last as long. Yeah. And then eventually you're going to just stop worrying about that sort of thing. It remind I used to forget my keys or something like that all the time, and I'd walk back in the house and leave with a Coca Cola and be like, "Shit," you know. <laughs> yeah. um, that happened to me growing up, and after I, I just decided this is like a silly thing I keep doing, and instead of getting mad at myself, I just was like, "I'm so silly." My mom would be laughing at me, you know, and I'd be laughing at myself, and then I, I eventually just decided to. I would think, okay, I don't want this to keep happening. So becoming aware of the trigger is really key here because you're not necessarily going to get rid of the reaction. You're just going to be able to make it last a shorter amount of time until eventually either it goes away or it never goes away, but more likely you're going to end up reprogramming it as just a, a little quirk instead of something that requires you to go and beat yourself up for three hours, especially if somebody else is joining in the fun, so to speak. And one of the things that helped me find the button was I just would notice what my, my physical reaction was because there is that kind of feeling that comes up in your gut. I felt a physical feeling when I'm, when I'm about to get defensive. It just feels like a little wave of just ugh, coming up. And I, no I started to notice that and pay attention to it. And so that helped me notice that trigger. 
I don't know if that works for you, Jordan, or defensive dad, but for me, I put that button with the physical reaction so I would have something to have like a mental switch where I could say, ah, it's coming, turn it off. That's great. So you actually figured out how to spot it before it even arises and short circuit the process. Yes. As it, as it was starting to happen, I just, I would get used to that physical feel. I just, I would know it. I could, you know, it's like I could feel it in my arms. It felt like, you know, when I, whenever I get defensive about something, it feels like static electricity in my body. Huh. And then I, then I unleash. So learning that feeling and saying, ah, it's coming and learning how to stop it. It takes time. It takes a lot of time and a lot of practice, but if you're aware of it and you look for it, you can short circuit it. Interesting. So it's like slow build, and then you're like, Hulk smash. Yep, exactly. Got it. Oh, that's so bizarre. My, I feel like for me, I just got immediately heated. But I guess I, I, if I zoom in enough on the timeline, I start by going, well, you forgot stuff in the past. Oh, so stupid. Oh, you're mean. You yep. know, or whatever as a kid, and now it's just basically a more adult version of that same it is. text. Yeah. So, all right. Well, that makes perfect sense. Thanks for the advice there. Documentary of the week, Get Me Roger Stone. Wow. Jason, did you watch this? Yes, I did. I don't know. I mean, this made my skin crawl. Multiple, multiples of feelings. Lots of the feels with this one. Some good, some bad, some, yeah, some, right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Lots A of lot feels. of caveman stuff here. So basically, this, this documentary follows Roger Stone, who is a campaign strategist for Trump. He worked with a lot of other candidates in the past as well. And he is just a, he's a political operative and he's a self-described dirty trickster. And he just, the stuff he's done in various elections to get people elected or not elected and the way that he's just very, um, in premeditated ways, double-crossed people that he's worked for deliberately from the get-go, like made people decoy candidates to ruin certain parties. It's just... There's a lot going on here, man. Get Me Roger Stone is available <laughs> yeah. on Netflix, and uh, there may or may not be a surprise coming uh, in the same direction. But watch this documentary. Let us know what you think. This this was one of those where I was like, I'm so sad that this is someone's job, you know? Yeah. It's just such a bummer. Uh, essentially made lobbying more of a thing than it used to be as well. So it, it's it's not a depressing documentary. It is interesting. Otherwise, I wouldn't recommend it. But it is a little bit like, oh, man, there are people like this? Okay. so The more you know. Oh, yeah, the more you know. Hope you all enjoyed that. Don't forget, you can email us Friday at theartofcharm.com to get your questions answered on the air. I keep everyone anonymous, so you can either make up your own funny name or we can do it. If it's feedback for the show, we're fans of strong opinions, loosely held, of course. We'd love to argue like we're right, but we listen like we're wrong. So don't be shy to hit us up over here. And if you got advice for somebody you heard from today, let us know if it's going to be helpful to everybody. You might hear it on the show. A link to the show notes for this episode can be found at theartofcharm.com slash FMF126. Quick shout-outs to the ladies over at the headquarters of the American Cancer Society. They listen to AOC over there in the office. Thanks for the good work y'all are doing. Are you in a strange land listening to our familiar voices? If so, hit me up. I'd love to shout you out. We'd love to hear from you. Either way, I'm on Twitter at The Art of Charm, and it's a great way to engage with the show. Jason, you're on the Twitter. I'm over at Twitter as JPDef. That's J-P-D-E-F. And you can also catch my podcast, Grumpy Old Geeks, every Monday. We're in iTunes or go to GOG.show to find out more. Also, don't forget about the Art of Charm Challenge. It's step-by-step. We take you better at making personal and professional connections, becoming a better networker, increasing your charisma, increasing your social capital. It's for both guys and gals. It's free. It's designed to get you to move forward one little baby step at a time. That's at theartofcharm.com slash challenge or text AOC 
to 38470. That's AOC to 38470 in the United States or theartofcharm.com slash challenge. More from AOC at theartofcharm.com, including info on our live residential boot camps. We run those every single week here in LA. So if you really want to dig into this stuff and work on your AOC skills with us as your coaches, that's at theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp. And we accept cryptocurrency. Speaking of crypto earlier, now stay charming, get out there and connect and leave everyone better than you found them.